Amen. How's everybody doing? Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Father's Day. Uh, I'm starting to really enjoy Father's Day in a different way. This is my third Father's Day as a father with a child. And, uh, you know, I was thinking I should make a YouTube video of all, uh, for every little funny thing that my daughter does. I think people would just enjoy it. The other day we were at Safeway, and uh, I, took her, I came home on Friday. Uh, Friday evening, came home about 3.30 in the afternoon, and my wife took off to go have some meetings in the evening. She had some missions meetings and so forth. And I said, all right, Alethea, let's go bye-bye. And she immediately she started crying, oh, no, I don't want to go bye-bye. I said, oh, you don't want to go to Chuck E. Cheese? Okay, no problem. We don't have to go. She goes, no, no, no. I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I said, no, no, no. You don't want to go bye-bye. We don't have to go to Chuck E. Cheese. We'll stay home. No, no, no. I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And I thought about it at that second that so often whenever the Father, whenever God wants to move us somewhere or change something in our lives, we start resisting before we even know that he's getting ready to take us to Chuck E. Cheese. You're crying about where the Father wants to take you before you even know where the Father's going to take you. And you actually don't know until the Father takes you there. Now, I'm a little bit more benevolent than my father was. My dad would just say, get in the car. He wouldn't tell us where we were going. (laughs) My dad never told us where we were going. Never. Never. You didn't get the luxury of knowing where you're going. We would, he'd pick us up from school. We'd get in the car. We think we're going home. We'd drive right past our house. Dad, where are we going? No answer. 15 minutes later, we're on the freeway. Dad, where are we going? No answer. Your father's driving. Your father's driving. And I'd be dreaming about everything I could have done had I stayed home. I'd be thinking, if I would have just got out of the car when he passed our block, if I would have just dove out, I could be home eating cereal right now, you know, watching DuckTales. I just told you what generation I'm from. Come on, somebody. DuckTales. Woo. <laughs> That was my show back in the day, man. You know? And I'd I'd be dreaming. I remember one time he picked us up from school, and he just started driving. Stone, my dad dad had this, uh, he he had that that stoic thing going on. You know, just no emotion on his face. Where are we going, Dad? He passed right by our house and kept driving. I'm dreaming about cereal and ducktails, and we're on the freeway. Next thing I know, we pull into the parking lot of the Oakland Coliseum. He had front row seats. To watch the Golden State Warriors play the Detroit Pistons. And Isaiah Thomas was standing 10 feet in front of me. I was like, I'm so glad I'm not home watching DuckTales eating cereal. At least give the father a little bit of credit that he has your best interest in mind. At least, I mean, if my daughter, if if the moment I said, let's go, she would have anticipated the father's going to take me someplace good. You need to understand that the father, if he's taking you anywhere, he's going to take you someplace good. And so, the word of the Lord to you this morning is, stop crying, saith the Lord. Stop crying. Stop crying about where you're going. The Father's taking you someplace good. Stop crying about what you're going through. The Father's taking you someplace good. Uh, it's never a dull moment being a father. My daughter is about to turn three years old next, next month. And uh, she acts like, you know, she acts like a seven-year-old. Uh, but she's a two-year-old. She acts like a two-year-old, too. And uh, uh, we were at Safeway. Uh, after, I, after I took her to Chuck E. Cheese, she had a blast, and then we went to Safeway, and we were picking stuff up, and I had her riding in the cart, and as I was self-checking us, us out, I heard her mumble something, and I turned, I looked at her, I said, what did you say, baby? She said, oh, I'm talking to that man, and I looked up, and there was a homeless man in line, 
and he was dressed from head to he had you know a beanie on and had it was kind of yellowish clothing you know kind of yellowish but it was real dirty and I said what are you saying and she looked at him and said excuse me are you SpongeBob <laughs> I said stop that stop that you stop that right now don't you be asking that man if he's SpongeBob <laughs> and I started cracking up laughing. How often does the father get a good laugh over the foolishness we say? I mean, how often does, does the father... And she, you know, I mean, she was dead serious. She was absolutely serious. Are you SpongeBob? Are you Sponge? Sometimes the father gets a good laugh. I'm convinced that the father... Is, he said, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come listen to this. Look at this. Look at this. Let, listen to what he said. Let's rewind it. Rewind. Watch that again. <laughs> I mean, the father gets a good laugh out of the stuff that we say. Sometimes the father is shocked by some of the things that we say because we paint him in a light that's not worthy of him. You know, nobody likes being falsely accused. You know, a couple weeks ago, my daughter was walking with her little friend, Giselle, in our house. They were coming down the stairs and they're both, you know, about three years old and uh, the washing machine was going upstairs and it was, it was in that uh, real fast spin cycle. So it was rumbling through the wall. Real loud, and the whole wall was shaking. Right there at that place coming down the steps, the whole wall shakes. And Giselle goes, what's that sound? And Aletheia says, instantly, and with complete seriousness, that's my daddy on the toilet. (laughs) And I was standing behind them. I said... The nerve. I said, I feel so so falsely accused right now. I feel so judged. That's how is that how you know, that's messed up. I said, Alethea, I'm right here. So often we accuse the father of stuff. We paint him in a light. You know? Well if if there's a tragedy, it's an act of God. If it's a miracle, it was a misdiagnosis. I mean, if something goes right, it must have been a coincidence. But if something goes wrong, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are constantly painting him in a light that is not worthy of him. But even out of that, the father gets a good laugh. As appalled as I was, I thought that was hilarious too. Uh, And so being a father has helped me kind of understand what the father must feel about me. You know, at times I look at my daughter and my wife and I both have this experience. And I'm sure every parent here has this experience. I look at my daughter sometimes and I feel so much love for her. I feel like I'm going to explode. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not every moment. Sometimes I look at her and I feel so much irritation. I want to explode because she's working my last nerve. I, you know, my mom used to say that, boy, you are working my last nerve. And I didn't understand it until I became a parent. See, I didn't know that we have a certain amount of nerves and that it's possible to work every one and get to the last one. But there are times when I feel so much love for my daughter, I just want to explode with love, you know? I remember uh, Kevin Carrington was telling me about his son, Micah. And if you've seen Micah, Micah looks like Kevin spit him out. I mean, Micah looks just like Kevin. Looks like Kevin just spit him out. He's the spitting image. And Kevin said, there are times when I get angry with my son and I'm scolding him. But then I look at him and he looks so much like me. He said, it's hard for me to be mad at him. I can't be mad at him. I was like, oh, look at him. He's so cute. Look at him. So, but I don't tell him that. I don't tell him that. But inside, I'm thinking, oh, that's just, look at him. He looks like me. That's how the father feels about you. 
At times when you don't know you look like the Father, you look like the Father. At times when you don't know, and that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and following, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation is simply the opening of our eyes to what our eyes previously couldn't see. Revelation is simply when something is unveiled that was previously veiled. Revelation is when something breaks through that was behind closed doors. When something is uncovered that was previously covered. And Paul says, I'm praying that God would give you revelation because there's some realities that are real. You just can't see them right now in your present condition. They're already real. They're already in effect in your behalf. You can't see it yet. But I'm praying that God would open your eyes so that you'd be able to see it. And he said that God, he prayed that God would give us revelation to see three things. One... The hope of his calling. But the second one is what interests me for today's message. The exceeding greatness of his inheritance. Or the riches of his glorious inheritance in the beloved. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Paul says, I'm praying that God would give you eyes of revelation to see the riches of his glorious inheritance. That is, there is a rich and glorious inheritance that you already possess. But you need revelation to be able to see it. You don't need revelation to possess it. Revelation simply unveils what you already have. You just didn't know you had it. Revelation simply opens your eyes so that you're no longer in the dark about who you are. And when he's talking about the the glorious inheritance, he's talking about that which comes to us from the Father. That which only the Father, because it is a Father's obligation, responsibility, and privilege To prepare and leave an inheritance for his children. And so he says, God the Father has been a good father to us. He has prepared and given us an inheritance. But we need revelation in order to see it. You know, this phrase, there's one particular phrase that Jesus used a lot. And he used it here in John chapter 5. And that phrase is, as the Father. As the Father. In John 5.21, he says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. He says, As the Father raises the dead, so the Son raises the dead. In John 5.26, he says, As the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. He says, Just like the Father, He's filled with life, so the Son is filled with life. He says in John 10, 15, as the father knows me, even so I know the father. Now that is a powerful statement because David says in Psalm 139, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know, my going in and my coming out, you know, my standing up and my sitting down. You have beset me behind and before you've laid your hand upon me. There's not a word in my mouth that you don't know it all together. He said, you know, my thoughts afar off, you know, me so intricately well And he says, I can't escape from you. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee flee from your presence? And then he says, at the end of it, he says, these thoughts are too high for me. He says, I can't even understand the way you know me. Much less know you to the degree that you know me. But Jesus says, as much and as intimately and as deeply as the Father knows me, so I know the Father. I've searched him and know him. I know his going in and his coming out. I know his rising up and his sitting down. I have beset him behind and before. I know the Father as deeply and as intimately as the Father knows 
me. Now, for some reason, we think that it is outside of the realm of the believer to begin to truly and intimately and deeply know the Father. We love quoting the first part of that passage where Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, mind has not conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But we don't read the next verse, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. It means that just as the Father knows us, he gives us the spirit because the Holy Spirit comes to reveal to us the deep things of God so that we can begin to say Father I know you just as you know me I know you as the Father as the Father Jesus says in John 12 50 and I know that his command is everlasting life therefore whatever I speak just as the Father has told me so I speak Jesus says you know why I speak I speak because the Father has told me to speak and I only speak as the Father speaks. He said it earlier in John 5. He said, I only do what, the, what I see the Father doing. The Son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the Father doing, that is what he does. He says in John fifteen nine. this is beautiful. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, the same love that I received from the Father I've loved you with it. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You know, when we become mature, we're able to say to people, I'm loving you with the same love that I've received from the Father. As the Father loves, so I love. I love the way God loves. That's what Jesus is saying. As the Father. And then he says in John 20, 21, this is powerful. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now that, if if you're the disciples, you say, wait a minute. When the Father sent you, He invested you with all the authority and power of the kingdom of heaven. You're telling me you're sending us that same way? Yes. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When we are talking about... Now, first of all, what I want to say today is today is Father's Day, but really, the Father that we need to celebrate is our Heavenly Father. That is, earthly fatherhood is simply a reflection. It is supposed to be a reflection of heavenly fatherhood. Really, what God, when God gave us earthly fathers and even spiritual fathers in the body of Christ, the whole purpose is not that we would focus on those fathers, but that they would reflect the image of that father so that we could see that father. But even if you didn't have one of those fathers, you still got that father. Because the scripture says a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is the Lord in his holy habitation. I don't care if you never had any father to father you or to look out after you. You have a father in heaven who is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. And he is able to fill in the gap that was left by the failure of men. And so this morning I want to turn your eyes onto the heavenly father. I want to turn your eyes onto the heavenly father. However, there is a progression that we can see in natural fatherhood that is analogous to the profession to the progression that happens in relationship between us and our heavenly father. And I want to use my own uh, experience with my father to help you understand this this morning, because I believe this will set you free. One of the things that happens when a child is in his infanthood or in his childhood is that in, in our infanthood, in our childhood, in our, in our immaturity, we make a solid distinction between the father and ourselves. I remember, and I told you all about this before, about the day I was in uh, Sunday school as probably a two or three-year-old, maybe about two, two and a half years old, little, little, little boy, same age as my daughter is now. And I remember I was in the middle of a very, very important building project. I had my Legos there on the floor, and I was building an edifice. 
And I was so focused on this building project that nothing could get my attention. Everything, everything had to submit to this building project. It was my, it was my life. And all of a sudden, the door flung open, and and a man walked in, and I didn't even look up to see who it was because I was so intensely focused on my blocks. And somebody said, Benjamin, it's your daddy. And when I looked up and I saw my daddy, I saw the most magnificent man I'd ever seen before in my life walk in the door. I mean, he was about seven feet or eight feet tall. He wore a black trench coat down to his feet and, a, and an immaculate black suit underneath. His afro was perfect. It was shiny, you know. I mean, it was clean. He had just sprayed it with afro sheen or stay soft fro or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on. Y'all know. Let he who never wore a fro cast the first stone. My dad had a perfect fro back in the 60s. This was 1978, right? And so uh, this, and I looked up and I saw this magnificent man. And at the moment I saw him, he looked like the most marvelous, magnificent, glorious man that had ever walked planet Earth. And suddenly I forgot all about my building project because my daddy had walked in. And he scooped me up off the floor. And I was so proud to be in the arms of this man. And I'm looking around like, yeah, this is my daddy. You know, when you're growing up in elementary school, it's my daddy is better than your daddy. That's what you want everybody to know. My daddy, my daddy will kick your daddy's butt if they got in a fight. My daddy makes more money than your daddy. My daddy's taller than your daddy. My daddy's stronger than your daddy. My daddy is smarter than your daddy. Oh, yeah, well, my daddy did this. Oh, yeah, well, my daddy did that. We used to argue like that in first and second grade. Why? Because the Father is here and I'm here. There's such a distinction, such a gulf between me and the Father. I don't see anything of the Father in me. All I see is how great the Father is. And in our spiritual infancy, all we can see is how great the Father is, but we don't see any of that greatness in ourselves. It is we don't see any of it as our inheritance. We see what the Father does and we feel like I can do nothing. The Father can do everything. My dad used to sit down and play the piano. Now, when I look back on it, he was playing real badly. <laughs> he never did get any good. But uh, at that time, when I was two, three years old, it sounded amazing. I was like, wow, wish I could play like that. That's amazing. But I didn't think I ever could. Why? Because I didn't know anything about inheritance. I knew I had a daddy, and he was there to protect me, and he was there to provide for me, and he was there to, to guide me and instruct me and correct me and rebuke me and feed me and clothe me and put me in school and tuck me in at night and, and make sure I was safe. And, and that, but that's what the daddy was there to do. I didn't see anything of the father in me. I simply saw what the father was to me. And that's where most believers live their lives is simply seeing the father as my protector and my provider and my nourisher and, and my corrector and, and the one who puts me to bed at night and wakes me up this morning huh, and started me on my way. Huh. But when we begin to come to maturity, we start thinking in terms of as the father. I got to a certain point where I said, if the father can play the piano, I can play the piano. Because if it's in him, it must be in me. I got to a point where I started to simply assume that was that whatever was in the father was in me. 
And I sat down and I started playing the piano. And at a certain point, my dad told me, you're going to play like I play in even greater works than these shall you do. And it was true. I began to see what the father was doing. And then I began to try it because something in me began to mature and say, now it's not just about the father doing it. I can do it. The Father protects me. I remember I got to a point where I began to be given, be given responsibility over my little brothers. My mom would say, you protect them. I know how to protect them. You know why? The Father has protected me all of these years. So as the Father has protected me, I'm going to protect them. My mother would say to my little brothers, obey your older brother. I know how to command them. And I know when to command them and when not to command them. Why? Because as the Father has commanded me, I'm going to command them. For their safety, not for their domination. Listen to your brother. Benjamin, you make sure you feed them. I can feed them. You know why? Because as the Father has fed me, I can feed them. You know, most believers never get to that as the Father place. Never get to that as the Father place. You've been getting fed by the Father for 20 years, but you've never taken it upon yourself to feed your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said to Peter he, on the seashore, he said, do you love me? He said, yes, I, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. Stop simply living in the place where I feed you. You've got to come into the as the Father reality. When you begin to mature and come to maturity, you begin to enter into the as the Father reality. As the father, as because the whole point, the reason he's called your father is because he wants to communicate to you and I that he takes everything that's in him and puts it in us and says, this is your inheritance. He wants us to identify with him as his sons and daughters. Now, I don't know about you, but if my father was wealthy, I wouldn't think of myself as broke. I wouldn't be, I, I just wouldn't. If I was Donald Trump's son, I wouldn't spend a day of my life going, I'm so broke. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? You hearing me this morning? There is a natural inclination to simply believe, and it doesn't take long for that level of maturity to happen. Kids who grow up with wealthy parents, they don't even worry about money. You don't see any money anxiety in them. They don't worry about it at all. They don't even trip. You know, it's just an as the, we start to develop this as the father mentality, but we can't in order to grow in our lives with the Lord, growing spiritually is not simply about minute, uh, memorizing scripture. Although that helps, that's important. That's powerful. Growing spiritually is not just about spending a certain amount of time in prayer. Although that helps, that's powerful. It's not just about going to church and getting the messages. It's not just about listening to worship and singing along with it. See, so often we go through these things, but we don't know why we're doing them. It's like going to the gym and doing reps, but you don't know how you're supposed to grow. When I go to the gym and I work out, I expect my body to grow in certain ways. If I do bicep curls, I'm looking at my bicep over a period of the next three months to see, did it grow? If I'm doing push-ups... I'm looking at my pectorals to see, did they grow? If I'm doing sit-ups and running on a treadmill, I'm looking at my waistline to say, did it decrease? And if I don't see any progress, I start to get discouraged. Why am I doing reps? Why am I working out? You know, but we have whole generations of believers that are discouraged with church. 
discouraged with the spiritual life. And the whole reason why we're discouraged with the spiritual life, don't spend any personal time in prayer. Don't spend any time in the word of God. You know why? Because we haven't seen our biceps grow. We haven't seen our pectoral muscles increase. We haven't seen our spiritual waistline decrease. We cannot point to any place in our life. And partly because we don't know where to look. We're looking for growth in the wrong area. And what I want to do today is to direct your attention to the place where you're supposed to grow. Spending time in prayer, spending time in the word of God, coming to the house of God, receiving the word of the Lord, going deeply in worship, developing a deep and intimate walk with Jesus Christ is supposed to grow you in the as the father reality. That is, you're supposed, and I want to focus your minds on this so you begin to think in terms, because if you expect your bicep to increase, you, you start putting heavier and heavier weight in those, on those dumbbells. You're expecting your biceps to increase. The reason you're not spending more time in prayer than you were last month is because you don't expect your biceps to grow. And where we're supposed to grow is in the realm of the as the father reality. As the father reality. As the father reality. And the as the father reality is focused on who the father is and what the father does. Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, I love this. Therefore, you shall be perfect. You know, I, I think most of us would love to remove that scripture from the Bible. And if we don't remove it from the Bible, we simply assume that it doesn't apply to us, even though there is no exegetical grounds for coming to that conclusion whatsoever. So we, we can't exegete it away, so we just ignore it and pretend it's not there. Therefore, look at your neighbor, you will not be able to escape this word today. I'm taking no prisoners today. No, no, I'm not telling you to say that to your neighbor. But yeah, you can say that. See, I'm, I'm taking no prisoners today. Look at your neighbor, say, therefore... You shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, we have this, this theology that says nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're only human. We're only human. Not realizing that that is a complete and total misdefinition of what it means to be a human being. Because actually, if we were only human, we would be perfect. Adam and Eve, when God created them in the garden, were they perfect or imperfect? Absolutely perfect. If, 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 you were to, if somebody were to say that there was somebody living today who was perfect, we'd say it was blasphemy. No, no, no. Only Jesus is perfect. It's blasphemy. So then Adam and Eve, that was blasphemy then. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not claiming to be perfect. The Apostle Paul didn't claim to be perfect. But he said that was his goal and objective. We are so focused on our imperfections and embracing them as if they were God's plan for our lives. As if they were God's destiny for us. So much so that we don't believe Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, you shall be perfect. Now, I think we should at least take the words of Jesus seriously. And not believe our theories of human nature more than we believe the word of the living God. You shall be perfect. 
as your heavenly father is perfect. That is, as you grow up in all things into him who is the head. As you grow to maturity, as you speak the truth and love and grow up in all things into him who is the head, he's going to take those imperfections from your life one by one. Do I look at my life and expect myself to be perfect today? No. But do you know what I do? I expect that every day God's going to take something out of my life. I expect why? Because my destiny is right here in this verse. You shall be perfect just as your father. And what maturity is, spiritual maturity is growing up fully into the as the father reality. You are spiritually mature when you are just as the father. Just as the father. You know that passage of scripture there in Isaiah 55:10 where he says, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts." Neither are my ways your ways as the heavens or verse eight, 55, eight. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. This is in our immaturity. God is speaking to us and saying in your immaturity, my thoughts are up here and your thoughts are down here. My ways are up here and your ways are down here. And we typically stop there. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Why are you walking in these ways? You know that they're wrong. Well, my ways are not his ways. His ways are up here. My ways are down here. And we don't go to the next verse. For as the rain comes down from heaven and replenishes the earth, does not return until it replenishes the earth, providing seed for the sower, and bread for the eater. I love the, new, the, the old King James Version. It says bread for the eater. I'm an eater. Some people are sowers. Other people are eaters. I'd rather be an eater. <laughs> he said as the rain comes down from heaven and does not return until it replenishes the earth. So is my word which goes forth from my mouth. It doesn't return to me void, but it accomplishes that which I send it to accomplish. In the context of that prophecy, what does the word accomplish? What is the purpose that he sends out his word? Changing our thoughts into his thoughts and our ways into his ways. Just like the rain takes the resources of the heavens and deposits them in the earth. And then it evaporates and returns to the heavens. The word of the Lord takes the resources of heaven and deposits them in our hearts and then returns and takes us with it. So that all of a sudden, after having received the words of the Lord, I have his thoughts and I have his ways. So the psalmist begins to say, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. I'm not satisfied that my ways are not your ways. Teach me your ways. Yes, I'm not just going to say, oh, well... Your ways are higher than my ways. Take me to those ways that are higher. Let me walk in your ways. Teach me to walk as the Father walks. Teach me to think as the Father thinks. My spiritual father said to me a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, I try to think just like God. (laughs) 
it just blew me away. I said, wait, how are you going to think like God? When we, when we think about it in those terms, it just sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Oh, you're going to think like God, huh? Yes. That's why Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, considered it not robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself. Let this mind be in you. Begin to think the thoughts of God. Begin to think the way he thinks. Begin to act the way he acts. When you grow up into maturity, you begin to act as the father as the father you know uh i hit a certain age when my voice changed about 13 years old and my voice changed and it was interesting before my voice changed my voice sounded just like my mother when i talked i mean and it was frustrating it is frustrating for a little boy to be told you sound just like your mommy Don't ever tell a little boy that, even if you're thinking that. You know, I mean, even if it's true, don't tell him that. Man, I heard that almost every day. As soon as I answer the phone, hello, hi, Diane, how are you? No, no, this is Benjamin. Oh, I'm sorry, Benjamin, you sound just like your mommy. Excuse me while I go kill myself. <laughs> mommy, it's for you. <laughs> I'll be in the room ex- electrocuting myself. <laughs> but I hit a certain place where my voice changed. I went through puberty. You know, some people, some people call it purgatory, but I call it puberty. And, and, and when I went through puberty, my voice changed. And when my voice changed, and you know, some, some, ki- some boys, they go through puberty and their voice is kind of in between. And they're, oh, 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 you know what I'm saying? I didn't go through that that. I, I just woke up one morning and my voice was deep. I remember waking up just scaring myself. Hey, mom. Whoa. Hey, that's kind of cool. Oh, I like this much better. Almost immediately, the phone would ring at my house. I pick up the phone. Hello? Hey, Peter, how you doing? They thought it was my dad. I said, yes. I like this. I'm going to milk this one for all it's worth. My father was the business manager and head accountant for a university. And, and sometimes the employees there would call the house. And I would answer the phone, hello. Yes, uh, Mr. Robinson, I have a question. I have an accounting, accounts payable question for you. Sure, go ahead. What can I do for you? I said, well, I need to know what to do with, uh, with accounts payable. And this do-. I said, well, listen, here's what you do. Write me a check for 20000 And we'll figure out the rest when I come in. <laughs> right? You know, I <laughs> think. Benjamin, is this you? Oh, sorry about that. Dad, it's for you. I even fooled my mom one time. My mom called the house. I said, hello. She said, hi, baby. I said, hey, honey, how you doing? (laughs) She said, Benjamin, give your daddy the phone. You sound like your daddy. But see, here's the funny thing. I sounded like my daddy, but I, it didn't mean, just because I sounded like him didn't mean I had his authority, his wisdom, or his understanding. I sounded like him. But the sound was just a sound. Behind the sound was a shell. That I still had a lot of maturing to do. You know, there's a lot of believers in the body of Christ that sound like their daddy, but don't have any of the maturity left. Oh, you can speak in tongues and prophesy and everybody hears the sound and say, oh, that sounds like God. You can say, you know, spiritual things and you get deep insights and and religious platitudes and you sound spiritual, but behind it is a little boy that's got the voice, but not the life yet. 
Not the maturity yet. It's not just about a sound. And so often we're focused on a sound in the body of Christ. We're focused on a particular sound. Can you talk the religious talk? Can you quote, can you pepper your conversations with a few scripture quotations? Can you throw out a few insights you got from a couple books you read? Can you regurgitate what you learned from somebody else's sermon to make it sound like you got some deep revelation? It's just a sound. And there's no depth behind it. And God wants to take us beyond the sound. He wants to take us into the reality because when He takes us into the reality, you don't even have to talk. People see the Father on the, in the look in your face. People see the Father in the way you walk and the way you carry yourself when you come into a room. People see the Father in your actions of love. People see the Father. People begin to see the Father in you. And now it's a mature expression of the Father. And what God wants from us is a mature expression of the Father in us. I remember growing to a certain place where my father started asking me for advice on certain subjects. I thought to myself, wow, this is a whole nother level. He's, even my father sees substance in me. This is a whole nother level. What I'm saying, and this is not a message for men. This is a message for men and women. I, this is a message for Christians. This is a message for believers. In G- and this is a message for human beings. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you were created as, in, as the image and likeness of God. And your destiny, God's intention for your life is that you would grow up in Him and discover who you are. This is God's created intention for you. The as the Father reality. As the father. You know, when you look at the concept of fatherhood in scripture, quite frequently, glory is attached to God's fatherhood. When you talk about the glory of God, you're talking about the glory of the father. Now, glory, we need to understand what glory is. The word in Hebrew is kavod. Say kavod. Kavod. The word in Greek is doxa. Say doxa. Both of them mean the same thing. Kavod, doxa. It means heaviness, weightiness, that which emanates from. Your glory is that which emanates from you and has an effect on people around the room. That is, your glory is what people who come in contact with you feel. Your glory is what people feel when they come in contact with you. Do you know there's certain men in the world and even women in the world, when they walk in a room, you feel their presence. I mean, they carry so much glory that everyone snaps to attention. My wife was talking about the, the mayor of the city of Tuluk Dalam in South Nias in Indonesia. And she, they asked for a meeting with him so they can ask about the crusade that we're going to do there in August. And she said, when he walked in the room, we all got scared. He said, the man walks with so much honor on him and so much authority, you could feel his glory when he walked in the room. She said, he walked in the room. We all got scared. Oh, he said, she said, she looked at the Indonesians around and they were practically trembling when that man walked in the room. My wife said, I didn't even know him and I was scared. He carries glory. Glory is what proceeds from you, what emanates from you, what comes off you. Glory is what you exude. And for good or for evil, 
I mean, if you're walking in depression, you're exuding depression. And that is your glory, and it has an impact on the people around you. People don't know why. They feel heavy and depressed when they're in your presence because they came into, the con- into contact with your glory. If you exude fear and anxiety, that's your glory. People come around you, and they're nervous, and they don't know why they're nervous. Why am I so nervous? Why am I so fidgety? What is going on? You just, why? Because you're standing in the glory of an anxious one. There's some people who exude energy and passion. And when you're in their presence, you just feel energized and passionate. You don't even know why. You're like, yeah, we're going to do this. What are we going to do? I don't know, but we're going to do it. Whatever it is, I'm excited. Why do you feel that? Because you came into contact with the glory of one who is passionate. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the glory of the Father. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father. Mark 8, 38, the Son of Man, He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of Him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. He's speaking of the glory of the Father, the glory of of the Father, and it appears over and over again. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in newness of life. God's glory is his fatherhood. Follow me. What emanates from him and has an effect on everyone who comes into contact with him is his fatherhood. He exudes fatherhood so that if he manifests his presence in the room, everybody feels fathered and doesn't know why. When his, listen, when you encounter his living presence and his glory begins to break forth in your life, his glory is his fatherhood and his fatherhood begins to change your perspective on life. It's the glory of the father. Here in Romans 6, 4, he says, Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. What happened? If you remember that resurrection day, what happened when Jesus was resurrected? His body was in the tomb, a stone was in the way, and there were soldiers, Roman soldiers guarding the place. And what happened? There was a violent earthquake, and then angelic beings appeared in glory, brightness. And the soldiers went to sleep. The glory of God was so strong that the soldiers went to sleep. And Jesus woke up. The glory of God put the soldiers to sleep and woke Jesus up. When Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, he was glorified before them. And what happened? They went to sleep. Sometimes the glory of God is so heavy and so weightiness that it will put you right to sleep. That's why when I'm preaching and I see people falling to sleep, I say it's the glory of God. glory of God is so heavy. People come to me and they they say, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. I fell asleep. I said, no problem. It was the glory. The glory of the Lord was so strong. You just couldn't handle it. Put you to sleep. (laughs) The glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is his fatherhood. When we begin to reflect the glory of the Lord, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, 
He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But all we who with unveiled faces steadfastly beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Literally what he says there in that passage is that as we look into the glory of the Lord, we become the glory of the Lord. We reflect the glory of the Lord. And when we begin to reflect the glory of the Lord, what we reflect is the spirit of his fatherhood. That is, the Spirit of the Father begins to flow through us. The glory of the Father begins to reflect from us. And all of a sudden, people around us feel safe. And they don't know why. I feel safe around you. Why? It's the glory of the Lord reflecting from you. Why do I just feel protected? Why do I feel secure? Man, when I'm around you, I just feel like everything's going to be okay. When I'm around you, I just feel encouraged. When I, you know, that is the glory of the Lord. It's the as the Father reality. As we begin to grow up into who we are as sons and daughters of God, the as the Father reality. And what we must pay close, closest attention to is the effect that we have on people who come into our presence. That is how you rate and evaluate your level of spiritual maturity. How do people respond? When people come into your presence, do they find themselves complaining? You say, I don't know why it is, but for some reason, when people come see me, they just share their complaints with me. That's not because you're mature. That's because you exude complaining. (laughs) And here's the test. Do they share their complaint with you and leave encouraged? Does it break off of them? Or when they leave, do you have the same complaint? What is your glory? That is your glory. The spirit of complaint. When people are are around you, do they start crying about how terrible their situation is? And are you able to break that off of them so that they leave rejoicing and encouraged? Or are they still in the pit and you're in the pit with them? God wants to grow us up into the as the father reality. As the father. I can't see somebody coming to God complaining or weeping or mourning and he send them away in the same condition. I never saw Jesus do it. I never saw Jesus do it. You know, there are times when I, I, try, I reach out to people and try to minister to them and I find I just don't have the words. I do my best. But then I go home and pray, God, grow me up into the ask the Father reality. Because the Father would have known what to say. It just means that I'm growing more. I have a, and you know what? We're all on that journey together. We're on different places in that journey, but we're all on that journey together. But we have to focus our eyes on the as the Father reality. And the as the Father reality is not focused on what we see happening in ourselves. That's the childish infantile reality it's all about me and what's happening in me but a father thinks of himself last because a father a real father he's got to think about his wife he's got to think about his children and he's got to focus his mind there even if he doesn't get what he needs and the birth of a child that's the greatest test for a new father 
Because when that child is born, fathers, you ain't getting nothing for a long time. She ain't going to rub your back. Your wife is thinking about one thing, that baby. And that baby's thinking about one thing, that baby. (laughs) And you can only be thinking about two things, that wife and that baby. You can't be thinking about that father. I could never imagine the father sitting in heaven going, why don't they honor me? How come they don't respect me? Do you see this, Jesus? (laughs) He's not concerned for himself. He's jealous for his glory, yes. But if you think about it, the father should be the most depressed being in the universe. If he got depressed every time things didn't go his way, every time he didn't get what he wanted, he would have committed suicide a long time ago. There has been so much rebellion in the earth. The father should be the most depressed being in the universe. You know what? He's not even bothered by it. Because a father can look above everything that goes wrong and say, no, I'm going to bring about that which is good. I'm going to work in all of this. And I'm not only going to work it. And it didn't say he works it out for his good. It says he works it for your good. In all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. God wants to mature us in the ask the father reality. Let's pray. Father, I speak your blessing over this congregation this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for the spirit of revelation. That you would open our eyes. The disciples said to Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And Jesus said, how long have I been with you? And you say, show us the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus, I pray that you would take us to that place in you where the people around us could see the Father in us. Grow us up in the as the Father reality. I pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, there's some here today that are hurting. Some here today that are wounded. And every Father's Day, there are individuals whose hearts are broken and hurting because they feel like if only I had a Father who loved me, I say to you today, if that's you, you have a father who loves you. You have a father who loves you. You have never been fatherless, not for a moment. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. He stands with you right now and he wants to touch you in that place where you're hurting. But you've got to lift your eyes above it and begin to say something different. You can't go on saying, I've never been fathered. That's an accusation against God. You can't go on saying, nobody was ever there for me. That's an accusation against God. You need a different confession. You need to begin to say, the Father has always stood by my side. He led me when I didn't know He was leading me. He covered me when I didn't know He was covering me. He protected me when I didn't know I needed to be protected. He healed me when I didn't even know I was sick. He's taken me by my hand and He's led me and He's going to lead me to the very end. This morning, God, the Spirit of the Lord is going to touch you and remove that power of lament and remove that power of mourning and weeping and loss from your heart. You have a Father. And your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Your father knows. Your your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. And he's a good father. He's not an absentee father. He's a present father. Today he's here for you and he's stretching out his hand. And he's saying, come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, come to me. I'll give you rest. You know, so many of us in our spiritual life, we focus on Jesus because we can identify with the Son, but we have trouble identifying with the Father. And Jesus said somewhere there in John 16, He said, the day is coming when you'll no longer ask me for anything. For the Father Himself loves you. Whatever you ask Him in my name, He'll do it for you. Even Jesus the Son, His desire was to direct our attention to the Father. Some of you in in your personal prayer lives, you never even talk to the Father. You talk to Jesus. But God wants to shift that. He wants you to begin to talk to the Father. He wants you to begin to talk to the Father. He wants you to begin to say, Father, I'm coming to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Father, I'm coming to you this morning. I, I, I prayed. Even Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's the Father. It's the Father, and God wants to reveal Himself to us as Father today. He wants to take us, He wants to take us into His fatherhood and hold us in His arms. And today I speak the blessing of the Father, and I say the Father Himself loves you. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will be loved by my Father, and I also will love him, and we'll come and make our home with him. The Father has come to make his home with you today. He's come to take you in his arms. Today I silence the voice of lament in your heart. Some of you have been lamenting for years and even decades about what you did not have from your earthly father. I silence that voice today in the name of Jesus. I remove from your mouth and from your mind and heart the voice of lament. And I replace it with the voice of joy. You will rejoice in your father. Your father loves you. You have a father. You have a father. He calls you his own. He'll never leave you. No matter where you go, he knows your name. He knows your name. Holy Father. Holy Father, I pray that you would reveal your glory to us today. Let the glory of the Father settle into every mind and every heart. For so long you've been forgotten. We know Jesus because He's the Son. We know the Holy Spirit because He's given to us. But we don't know the Father. But today, you're revealing yourself to us as Father. The Father. The Father. You're not missing anything. But there was nobody to go to my games. No, the Father was there. There was nobody to keep me out of trouble. The Father was there. You should have got in a lot worse trouble than you got in. The Father was there. 
The Father has intervened in your life and He will intervene again and again and again. I speak strength to your heart and mind. I speak the strength of the Father to your heart and mind. In the name of Jesus Christ. And I bless you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In His precious mighty holy name.